Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, July 17th. We begin with our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We asked the mayor for his thoughts on making masks mandatory on public transit and indoor public spaces. Then we get the latest on the continuing We Charity scandal. We speak with Abigail Beeman, Global News Ottawa correspondent. Earlier this week, Twitter made news headlines due to a breach to the social media platform targeting high-profile users. We speak with tech expert Tom Keenan, who offers up tips on how to keep your personal social media safe from hackers. They're all starting to reopen, but is it safe to go back to the gym to work out? We hear the thoughts of an epidemiologist on just how risky it is to return to your old routine. Another day, another record set in the United States when it comes to new cases of COVID-19. Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, joins us with the latest south of the border. And finally, he's a fan favorite and a Calgary legend. We catch up with Henry Burris, who has just been inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Normally in this time slot, we're joined by Danielle Smith, brought to you by River's Edge Villa Bungalows in Cochrane, featuring breathtaking views of the Rocky Mountains. But on Fridays, we catch up with Mayor Nahed Nenshi for our weekly check-in. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, folks. Uh, lots to cover this morning, Mayor, including the increased number of COVID-19 cases we've seen in our province over the past few days. But first, we'd like to revisit the topic of mandatory masks. We've seen it in uh, several Canadian cities. Uh, is it still a potential for the city of Calgary? Yes, Council is going to be having a conversation about that on Monday. Uh, And as you said, uh, the number of cases have gone up. We now have two parts of Calgary, uh, which include downtown Calgary and the area around uh, the Marta Loop and the Elbow River, uh, which are under watch because of the numbers. And those are areas that have had pretty low cases in the past, and the numbers have just spiked. And so, you know, this is clearly the case that folks, especially younger folks, are not uh, appropriate physical distancing, they're not uh, washing their hands, not touching their face, and as I've said many times, our level of mask wearing is much, much too low. So I think at the very least, we need to mandate masks on public transit, and we need to look hard at other areas in which we need to mandate them as well. Now, we're not going to mandate, obviously, in restaurants or bars or outdoor settings, but things like crowded stores and so on are things that we really do need to think about. I'm sure you won't be surprised with the uh, the poll that came out about mask wearing right across the country that out here on the prairies and yes, here in Alberta, obviously, uh, we are on the low end of those wanting to wear masks and that's what we're seeing. So is there something... Yeah, but still but still massive majorities, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, massive yes. Massive majorities mm-hmm. yes. of people saying we should make it mandatory. Yes. It's, it's not a public... And, and it's not a public opinion issue. It's a public health issue, but it is interesting that... You know, on transit, you usually see about 85% of people say make it mandatory. Is is there something, is there sort of a, you know, a, a mark that you say, this is it, we now have to have mandatory masks, or or is it going to be a discussion on Monday? How, how do you come to a, a, an agreement on that? What's going to, what I'm proposing uh, come before council on Monday is that we do go ahead and make the mandatory on transit, and then we do exactly as you're saying, Sue. We set uh, certain criteria, particularly around transmission rates, and our transmission rate has gone way up. We need to keep that number below one. Each infected person uh, infects fewer than one person, and we're close to two now, which is what we were close to the peak. Um, So, and that's exponential growth. So in any case, we have to have these triggers, uh, and then these triggers will determine the next level we go to. 
what are your thoughts? Because obviously, uh, as 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 the mayor first, uh, well, Calgarian first, and as as our mayor, you're around town. What do you what do you think of the opening so far and and the impact of the businesses? Do you think that they're having enough of uh, well enough slack to get things done and to 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 get their legs under them? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, basically where we are at now. Um, there are still common sense restrictions, and those common sense restrictions are going to have to stay in place for some time, particularly around physical distancing. Uh, but certainly the businesses are in a be- much better shape than they had been, uh, uh, you know, before we went to the reopening. So it's, it's a new normal, and we just got to figure out how to succeed in that new normal. There's still a few businesses that have yet to reopen that sort of phase three that we keep hearing about. Any, any uh, guidelines on that at this point? Well, certainly if the numbers keep going up, we're going to keep delaying phase three. Um, That's a provincial decision, obviously. But, you know, this is what people really need to understand is that this is nowhere near over. And it really is. I mean, I say it every week, but it really is up to people to do good personal behavior because every single one of us will control the future of this. Wow. And it, it seems like it's such a personal thing, the masks. And again, it can be quite polarizing. We just got a text in, though, Mr. Mayor. Someone telling you how to do your job. Um, make, <laughs> You've never heard that before, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Nobody ever. You're like, the, you're like the customer service department. Nobody comes in and says, great stuff. They always have a criticism. But this this is a good one, though. They're saying to you, make masks mandatory in all public places, please. Well, you know, um, in that in um, Quebec, the entire province has done that. Uh, Ontario, whose numbers are better than ours, they've done that mm-hmm. uh, in most of the big cities. And I don't think we need to go quite there quite this moment um but i do think we need to make them mandatory in places where you cannot consistently keep that two meters apart uh which involves a lot of indoor spaces yeah fair enough thank you so much we'll be watching for your decision on monday thanks for joining us thank you i know i should just say one other thing i'm actually going to do something weird on your show which is say something nice about the federal government oh go please um which is the uh the $19 billion they announced yesterday, which includes a lot of funding for municipalities, is yes. something we've been working really hard on. And this is the first time that the provincial and federal governments have acknowledged that cities deliver important services, and we've been hit hard by COVID. So I'm actually happy for once um, with uh, that, uh, and that's going to make a big difference for Calgarians going forward. We can celebrate a win for sure. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much. That's Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 642 now, and the House Finance Committee kicked off a study into the Liberal government's connections to the WE charitable organization yesterday. To break down what we learned, we're joined this morning by Global's Ottawa correspondent, Abigail Beeman. Good morning, Abigail. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Yesterday, the committee heard several hours of testimony. So what did we learn about how the, the, the deal was granted in the beginning? Well, we learned uh, a few interesting things in those, as you say, hours of testimony. I'll start with uh, what we learned from Bardish Chagger, the minister responsible here. She told committee that had this program developed and gone forward, we stood to be paid $43.5 million. That's significant because it's more than twice what the government was originally talking about. Uh, you heard the number $19.5 million floating around a few times. So Chagger explained that was for the initial phase, but had it developed, there 
there was a lot more money on the table, uh, $43.5 million. The other interesting points that came out of this testimony uh, came from a senior bureaucrat named Rachel Warnick, who is the one who reached out to we herself and made that initial phone call. She was really grilled by opposition over this, and it, it led to a lot more questions. But some key points that I'll highlight uh, is that on April 19th, and that date becomes important in a moment, she uh, reached out to we speaking in broad strokes about what the government may be looking for. Nobody knew the details uh, quite yet. At that point, she learned that we had already been reaching out to officials, to ministers about a separate uh, uh, social entrepreneurship and youth program, which uh, she learned could maybe be adapted into what the government was looking for. When she gave that piece of testimony at committee, you could hear a conservative MP audibly groan that this was, you know, a major revelation. It led to a lot more questions. But uh, so I mentioned April 19th, that initial conversation. April 22nd, the Prime Minister makes the announcement about this specific summer grant program, what, what they're looking to do. That very day, Rachel Wernick receives an email from Craig Kilberger himself, one of the co-founders of WE, uh, with a very detailed proposal on the same day. So you can imagine uh, the questions that followed there. So the ethics uh, commissioner expanding his investigation into this affair, into this we scandal. Who's going to be in the hot seat? Who can we expect to see? That's right. So that's uh, now Finance Minister Bill Morneau. And just a couple of minutes ago, uh, we were advised that Mr. Morneau has a public appearance today, a media availability this afternoon in Toronto. He declined our interview requests yesterday when this news broke uh, that he would be investigated by the Ethics Commissioner. So we will hear from Mr. Morneau uh, later today. But uh, the minister did tell us yesterday that he will fully cooperate with the Ethics Commissioner. He also reiterated his apology that we heard from him earlier in this week saying that he should have recused himself from discussions over WE uh, and that's because he has a daughter who works for a separate branch in the WE organization. We also know separately from that that he has a second daughter with ties to WE as well. She's uh, spoken at events. What do we know in terms of apologies now? We we got a, a, a was it a third apology yesterday? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if I'm counting correctly, yes. So we've already heard from the finance minister and the prime minister earlier this week. Yesterday was interesting because you know, as, as you know, the finance minister and the prime minister have these ties to the WE organization. But yesterday, Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland came out and said all of cabinet bears responsibility for what happened, which was an interesting move. Mm-hmm. She said she wants Canadians to know she's very sorry and. The that the government has uh, made a mistake here. So, Abigail, uh, in the in the uh, days to come, we can expect this not to go away anytime soon. Uh, w- would we expect, uh, you know, some kind of a resolution uh, before the end of summer? Do you think? Uh, I'm not. That's a, that's an interesting yeah. question. The you know the uh, the ethics the office of the ethics commissioner tweeted out a couple of times now that the average investigation takes seven months. So wow. I don't think yeah, and it's uh, already mid July. So I don't think that we will see that. Um, and and I, I I will say that I spoke with the former ethics commissioner. I did an interview with Mary Dawson uh, this week where she did the first investigation into the prime minister uh, and where she found that he had broken the rules around conflict of interest. She told me that investigation 
investigation took a year and she was moving as fast as possible because she was up against a, a retirement deadline. So I don't think end of summer we will have all the answers, but uh, certainly there will be some developments. Uh, today, a second committee, the Ethics Committee, will be looking at uh, conflict of interest as well. And we're still waiting to hear whether the Prime Minister will choose to testify uh, in front of committee. That would be a highly unusual uh, thing to do. But twice he's been asked about it this week at his two media availabilities, and he hasn't shut the door there. So we'll watch and, and see what happens. Thanks so much for the update, Abigail. Appreciate it. Thanks. That's Abigail Beeman, Global's Ottawa correspondent. 8-11 on the morning news. Last week, uh, Twitter made, or earlier this week rather, Twitter made news headlines due to a breach on social media that targeted high-profile users. Hackers posted messages enticing donations to a Bitcoin account, promising to double the money to those who donated. While most of us may or may not be victims to a cybercrime of this nature on our social accounts, being hacked is a real possibility for anyone. With some ideas on how to protect ourselves, we're joined by Tom Keenan, professor at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape, University of Calgary, and cyber expert, author of the best-selling book, Technocreep. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. Well, these are high-profile cases that we heard. The blue check mark, uh, you know, uh, celebrities yep. on Twitter. We're not those people, but that doesn't mean we can't be hacked, Tom, does it? Yep. Absolutely. So if anybody doesn't get the reference on Twitter, if an account is verified, there'll be a blue check mark. <laughs> I have a great example in a speech I give of Justin Bieber's account, and for some reason, the blue check mark is right over his crotch. <laughs> doesn't matter where it is, that blue check mark means it's a validated account like their agent or lawyer has said it is. And Bill Gates has one, and if you got a tweet from Bill Gates or saw a tweet that said he'll double your money in a day... Don't fall for it because he's not doing that. So why why was it they went after the? Is it just because of the, they're the names those that had the blue check mark the the valid validated uh, accounts? Yeah, I don't know if they did Anthony Fauci, but we know he's one of the most trusted guys. Yeah, it's it's kind of a badge of honor if they did you. You know, if you're the Pope or Bill Gates or whatever, it means they think that you have enough positive cred that people might fall for it. It is of course a scam. Do not send Bitcoin to any of these famous people. Bill Gates doesn't need your money and. And uh, you're just going to lose it. Now, Tom, you're a high-tech guy, and this is the world that you live in. But could it also get down to that age-old, way before tech, of if it sounds too good to be true, it probably uh, isn't? Absolutely. And, you know, the good thing is tech gives us tools. So there are things like, have I been pawned, that's spelled P-W-N-E-D, that you can go to and you can see if you've been in big data breaches. So we do have ways to fight back against us. Okay, so what do we do as just a little old people that we are, you know, have our Twitter accounts and we've got yep. Facebook, what do we do to keep our social media safe? Yeah, the first thing, of course, is keep everything up to date. If Get a virus checker. I'm not going to recommend a particular brand, but get something. There are free ones even that are pretty good. And then keep it up to date. So every time it says, can I update it, let it update it. Okay, by and large, that's safe to do. Then the other thing is to just lock down your privacy settings on things like Facebook and so on. So you don't want some weird person in Russia, you know, looking at your private <laughs> photos. So don't make things too widely available. Maybe you just restrict things on Facebook to friends and friends of friends or something like that. So it's a whole security mindset. And of course, if you're working in a government or something like that, you have to be even more cautious. Also, how much should we be sharing about our, our real lives you know, on I social would, media? 
I, I did some work with judges, and uh, I used, uh, with his permission, one as an illustration that he was standing in front of his car with the license plate showing. He uh, I tracked, you could track his movements, so he went to bath and stuff like that. I think we've got to be, like, really, really tight on these things. We've got to think about the fact that there are people whose full-time job is to try to take our credentials. And I say that very broadly because they may want our credit card number. The latest thing is health records. I've seen on the dark web people will pay up to $1,000 for someone's health record because it has everything. It has date of birth, place of birth, diseases that you have, address, maybe credit card number. So right now the thing that you really want to guard is your health record. The good news, at least in Alberta, is those records are in the custody of the government, and they do a pretty good job of guarding them. You can only see part of your record, like, you know, the last time you had a vaccination and stuff. Tom, I know the answer is probably vast on this, but, you know, how are they getting in? And, and getting our information through social media. Yeah, so I read the report. I mean, we were talking a bit about the uh, uh, attempts to steal vaccine information. And I just read the U.K. National Cybersecurity Report on that. And that group is called APT29. These are the Russians whose job it is to break into stuff. Uh, the APT, by the way, stands for Advanced persistent threat. So these are people who are trying to get inside your computer and gain control of it. And they start, to answer your question, they usually stop by sending you an email. And, you know, often these are stupid things like there's a prince in Africa who wants to give you $10 million. <laughs> but it could be very mundane. Uh, you're, uh, you just got, I got a thing this week that I had to deposit in my PayPal account of 40 U.S. dollars. I got that too. Did you? Yes. Okay. Well, um, you know, you got to check those things and see if they're real. So I, I actually went to PayPal to check out and, uh, and things like that. So people are looking for clever ways. It might be you have a package waiting, you know, but we're trying to deliver your package. So they think of things that people are going to assume are just kind of part of the routine mm -hmm. world and that they have, uh, uh, you know, they're not thinking twice about it. And you gotta, you got to always be skeptical. So, again, if it says it's from PayPal, if it says it's from a bank, don't click on the link. That's what we always tell people. Go back to your own proper account with that bank or with PayPal and see if, if there is a deposit there. And nine times out of ten, as you suggested, it's a scam. We've got to do our due diligence mm -hmm. for sure. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Tom. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. That is Tom Keenan, professor at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape, the University of Calgary, and also cyber expert, author of the best-selling book, Technocrete. 609 on the morning news. How safe are gyms as we start to see businesses reopen amidst the pandemic? To discuss it, we're joined by Emily Smith, an epidemiologist at George Washington University. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning. Uh, Emily, in our city, city of Calgary, more and more gyms and workout facilities are opening. Uh, but some people are a bit worried about going back in to work out and maybe want to keep their workouts at home or just running outside. Should we be worried about going back to our favorite gyms? Absolutely, there is some risk at, with working out in a gym. Whenever you're talking about COVID risk, we think about time, space, people, and place. And in a gym there are more indoors which is higher risk in the gym there are more people we come in contact with people and the other thing that makes gyms higher risk than other places are that you're working out so when you're breathing heavily you're actually expelling more of those droplets that contain the coronavirus 
lots of fitness facilities sort of doing things that they can, whatever best they can do to, to keep people separated. I've even seen one where you're kind of in a, a little bubble almost that they've created. So is that something we should be looking for is making sure that our gym has the proper distancing in effect then and in place to make sure that nobody moistly sweats on you? Yes, there are things that many gyms are doing, like limiting the number of people, doing cleaning, and like you said, having maybe special special things to keep keep the space, keep people from breathing uh, on you. And so those are good things. Um, unfortunately, we don't know exactly how effective they're going to be. Mm-hmm. New virus, lots of places are reopening. Uh, we have some data from... Japan and from Korea that do give us some concern. So in Korea, there were there was a Zumba class uh, where essentially over the course of a few weeks, about 26% of people who went to Zumba classes uh, became infected with, with COVID. And similarly in Japan, that gyms have been a source of some of the clusters of outbreaks that have have happened so that gives us some pause there are i know gyms are doing work uh to try and think of these measures and so we're still learning to see exactly how effective those will be so emily uh, can we assume then that you're safer perhaps uh, doing your own thing whether it's the treadmill or free weights versus uh, an, an organized class is is that something we can say with confidence Definitely, because less people always means less risk when it comes to COVID. So it's safer to do it on your own. But I've seen gyms doing creative things like having these classes outside with Mm -hmm. space. And so that's another safer way to do group fitness. Or I've seen friends doing some of these workouts together, but outside, again, with space. Uh, and so those are maybe safer alternatives. And Emily, not maybe those are definitely safer. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily the it's not the sweat as far as we know, right? That 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 is, is spreading anything. It's it's the fact that you're heavy breathing and you're you know there's a lot of you know droplets, I guess, being expelled if you're in a a, a group situation. So is that correct? No, no issue with the sweat itself. You're correct. Okay. And what about the touch surfaces, like the weights and stuff like that at the gym? Is that something we need to be concerned about? Or is that, uh, you know, are the, the scientists, epidemiologists like yourself, is that something we're, we've kind of realized it's not as dangerous then? You're right. As time has gone on, we're less worried about transmitting uh, the virus from touching surfaces. But we still think it's possible. So in a place like a gym where there's a high touch surface, something that many people are touching, then we would be worried. So the precautions like more frequent cleanings are important. And as always, washing your hands is important. So Emily, this is the million dollar question. As an epidemiologist, I'm wondering, have you returned to the gym or is this something you would feel comfortable doing um, at this point in the pandemic, going back to the gym? I have not gone back to the gym and I will not be going back to the gym very sadly uh, until really until we have a vaccine or until we get to zero cases um, because it's just higher risk. Now, everyone has their own risk threshold. And so that's that's okay. It's up to you. It depends on your personal health. 
but for me, I, I won't be back. And wearing a mask at the gym is is going to be a little bit difficult. So, but I suspect if people do go back, that may be something that that they're interested in trying out to see, you know, just how difficult it is when you're heavy breathing and doing your fitness. If the mask might be something that helps them out. Exactly. So some gyms are requiring masks. I think it's a good idea if you're indoors for any reason to be wearing a mask. But like you said, it's tough with exercise. So. Again, here's that balance for each person to think about what's possible and what helps reduce risk. But masks are absolutely helpful. So if it's possible, it's a good idea. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, It's timely information. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for taking the time this morning, Emily. Thanks for having me. That is Emily Smith, epidemiologist at George Washington University. And this, uh, in our city... Uh, we're hearing that we've got a, something that I'd never heard of through the pandemic. A watch declared for mm-hmm. certain sections. We heard about that watch for the condo uh, building that was a, a couple of weeks ago that had right, no Right, right, right. Now there's a watch for Calgary Center and Calgary Elbow. And uh, to what Emily was speaking it, uh, there's a couple of restaurants within it, but a couple of gyms. Uh, reporting uh, yesterday that YYC Cycle Studio is going to be canceling up uh, coming classes there within that watch area. And a couple cases have been, you know, attached to some of these fitness facilities. And not just that, it's also Cult. I've never heard of this one, but it's a, a boutique gym in Calgary. Interesting. So you, you got to keep an eye out. you got to know where you're going and, and how they're keeping you safe and things clean. That watch designation, by the way, uh, means the area has risen above 50 active cases per 100,000. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot, no, no. but they're just, they, you know, they put the watch in effect so that you are aware there could be a potential issue there and, and maybe some exposure. Sounds cliche, but certainly better safe than sorry. 819 to support Calgary students during the pandemic and avoid what they call the summer slide. The Calgary Public Library launching several online resources for students and for parents. Generous funding has been provided by a couple of local philanthropists and that will help support the library's ultimate summer challenge. So with details, we're joined this morning by Carolyn Riker. Good morning. Customer service manager for the Calgary Public Library. Hi, Carolyn. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us. First of all, summer slide. Do I assume that's just, you know, where kids stop paying attention about anything that's (laughs) any related to any way related to education? Well, um, it's, it's something that is often outside of their control. And it's been, it's a real challenge for all school age kids. And it's basically, you know, where kids are away from their regular structured learning environment. And while they continue to, uh, you know, experience social connections, or at least certainly more so in years past, um, they they actually slide back in terms of their level of growth in terms of learning. And so we do have studies that have shown that kids will, for example, can lose up to two months worth of their reading skills, mm. um, their literacy skills, and sometimes up to two and a half months worth of progress in math skills. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, and it, so it's quite significant. And what you can imagine that means is they come back in September and um, there's a lot of relearning that needs to happen and, and sometimes four, six, even up to eight weeks of, of reteaching things that they have sort of lost before they can then move on and continue to grow those skills. So so anything that can help kids to continue to learn, to read, to engage with words, to engage with math and to think about, you know, but to do it in a fun way. So it's almost like, you know, when you 
when you slip your vegetables into the chili sauce, right, and they don't know that they're yeah. getting vegetables, <laughs> right? You, you slip the learning into the fun activities, and that's what the library is doing with yeah. the Ultimate Summer Challenge. Yeah, so the Ultimate Summer Challenge, break down how it works and uh, what age of the kids should be getting involved. Absolutely. Um, kids from age 0 to 17 is, is what's covered for Ultimate Summer Challenge. And there's lots of different ways to be involved. So one of the first and important things is because we are part of the TD Summer Reading Club and, and we use a platform called Beanstalk. And Beanstalk allows the kids to track their reading. Um, they can download or they can pick up at the library a challenge map. And they, for every 15 minutes that they're reading, they can color in the map and um, uh, work their way through it, and when they complete the map, they can return it to the library and pick up a reading reward um, for doing that. And they can track it all on Beanstack. They can keep track of the books that they're reading. So there's there's a lot of energy that goes into either reading on their own or having their parents or their siblings read to them. Um, they can also do a lot of cool activities online and, and earn some virtual badges, um, which is a lot of fun for kids. And that's the same thing for our teens as part of the teen takeover for 12 to 17-year-olds. And then we're also, of course, this year offering online programs. So, of course, of course with the pandemic, right, our, our programs that used to be in person at library locations have been replaced with virtual mm-hmm. programs. So we have art programs like Let's Draw. We have things where you can explore astronomy, um, explore the moon. There's a yoga program for little ones. Um, There's even a program called Squirmy Wormy Bug Science. So lots of fun programs to do online. And then the kids can also, by being part of this, um, their name goes in to win some pretty fabulous prizes at the end of the summer. Great program. I love it. Last year, Calgarians read more than 300,000 hours. So great opportunity to get kids and adults reading together. Free program, correct, Carolyn? Absolutely. Our memberships, of course, are free and you can sign up easily online. And and then registration in Ultimate Summer Challenge is free as well. And um, it's just a great way to keep kids engaged right and for for the family to learn and and have some fun together calgarylibrary.ca slash summer thanks for joining us carolyn thanks so much take care you too that's carolyn Riker, customer service manager for the calgary public library 709 now the u.s shattering its single day record for new cases the 11th time in the past month that record was broken with all the details south of the border we're joined by washington bureau chief for global news jackson prosco hi jackson Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Happy Friday to you. Not so happy, I I assume, though, down in the States with, boy, the numbers that just continue to grow and clashes over mask mandates and school reopenings. A lot of of things going on in your neck of the woods. Talk to us about, uh, first of all, just the numbers and, and how they continue to grow. Yeah, it really is a mess. You know, yesterday was a record for total number of new cases in the U.S., 77,255 cases yesterday. That is a lot in one day. That is a a new record here in this country. And while the case numbers are increasing, so are the numbers of deaths and hospitalizations. And the number of daily deaths is setting records in states like uh, Florida and Texas and Arizona, Alabama, Louisiana. They're all seeing their numbers tick up. Uh, if you sort of look at the two-week rolling average, we're at about 40 states give or take a few that are seeing their numbers on the increase now to varying degrees so this is this is a huge problem it's not going away anytime soon and now there are real concerns about testing shortages an old problem rearing its head again where people are having to wait up to two weeks to get their test results which means they're they're mm. pretty much useless at this point mm-hmm. 
Jackson, the experts that we talked to on this program uh, underscore the importance of wearing a mask. And I understand that with government orders not really in place when it comes to mask wearing, a lot of U.S. retailers actually mandating that customers who enter their space wear masks. The list is growing, isn't it? That's right. So, yeah, 26 states, I believe it's up to now, have uh, statewide mask mandates. But you're right. Retailers are not waiting for states to get their act uh, together. So uh, Walmart, which is the largest re- retailer in the U.S., has 5,000 locations, says you've got to wear a mask if you're coming into their stores. And the list is growing. Sam's Club, Target, CVS, Best Buy, all of these retailers say uh, you must wear a mask on their premises. That includes Kroger as well, which is the largest grocery store retailer. Now, I heard yesterday, is this right, that the Democratic Convention, they may even can it or hold it virtually due to the pandemic? They had already moved to a virtual format for their convention in Milwaukee. Uh, they could cancel it altogether. They've essentially so- told delegates and media to stay home at this point. And the Republican convention scheduled for Jacksonville, Florida, after Trump moved it out of North Carolina, is running into logistical problems as well. They figure they can maybe, if they're lucky, get 7,000 people together. That's a drastically reduced capacity. And that's a big if at this point. Real questions as to whether or not this will be able to go ahead. The numbers that we do see on a daily basis increasing. And now uh, it looks like top doctor, uh, top doctor Anthony Fauci has said, you know, 60 or 70,000 per day. Uh, that's, uh, you know, a start. We could reach that 100,000 new cases per day. Uh, you know, that uh, must have garnered at least some attention and, and you know, caught people, maybe, maybe um, sparked them into getting some interest in this. Yeah, I mean, when he made that prediction, it was a couple of weeks ago, and the U.S. was only sort of just on the cusp of 50,000 cases per day. So here we are on the approach to 80,000 now. Uh, One thing that may keep the numbers down is that testing shortfall I was talking about. They can only process so many tests at a time, and the results that are coming back in, again, are are hugely lagged. So uh, the CDC has already said that sort of uh, they figure that those numbers are only capturing a fraction, maybe one-tenth of the true number of infections that are actually out there right now. Let's talk about schools reopening, Jackson. There's a lot of talk about that in the states and, and, you know, the president pushing to get the schools reopen and and a lot of push back against the idea. Yeah, I mean, this is the big question. How do you actually do this right now? We're already seeing stories of uh, summer camps, for example, leading to huge numbers of infections or teachers who've gathered together for planning meetings with no students in the classroom. Uh, there was a scenario where three of them fell sick and one of them died from COVID-19. So with so many unknowns about how children spread the virus, whether they would spread it to, um, uh, you know, their parents or elderly relatives or teachers or contract it themselves, very hard to see how in these areas with high levels levels of virus that this goes ahead. But the Trump administration says the science should not stand in the way of school reopenings. Uh, They want everyone back in the classroom at full capacity. A lot of jurisdictions saying that's not going to happen. So Los Angeles, which is the second largest school district in the country, has said uh, they're starting the year uh, with online learning. And we're seeing more and more jurisdictions do the same. Here in Washington, D.C., they were supposed to announce school reopening plans yesterday. They didn't do it. They're going to wait two more weeks to see what the situation is before they make a call as to how the year will start. Uh, Data released earlier this week when it comes to Joe Biden and uh, Trump, and it breaks down a few different uh, categories. Obviously, the the first one would be uh, approval between the two, uh, well, potential leader and uh, President uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Let's talk about uh, also handling a crisis and COVID response. Uh, Biden is uh, continuing to increase the gap, isn't he? 
He is. Uh, one poll has him in a 15-point lead over Trump. Another poll had him at an 11-point lead nationally over Trump. Of course, national polls don't matter as much. It's about the state-by-state picture because of the Electoral College. But uh, states like Texas show Biden potentially in the lead there as well. I think that tells you something. And one overall national poll that really stood out to me was party affiliation. People saying, do you de- identify as a Democrat or a Republican? It was at a majority for Republican voters back in January. Uh, the number at the time was 45 or 46 percent. Today it's down to 39 percent of voters who identify as Republican and 50 percent now identify as Democrats. And that mm-hmm. could mean big things up and down the ballot, not just for the presidential race, but for congressional races, for members of Congress, for the Senate, for governor's races. I'm sure this wouldn't surprise you. I'm sure you've heard it as well. But the majority of Canadians have now been polled and they want the U.S. border to stay closed till the end of 2020. But there seems to be a bit of a push from uh, bureaucrats in the U.S. to get that that border reopened. Yeah, there were a few dozen members of Congress who say that they should uh, essentially be looking at uh, a discussion of how you hold that phased reopening of the border. Uh, but that just doesn't jive with the reality of the situation right now, which is that you're right. I mean, Canada has, I think, no interest in opening the border. Neither neither does Mexico. Uh, you know, it's funny this week, the president held an event in the Rose Garden, which was kind of a campaign style speech. And he returned to old themes, suggesting that people were streaming into the U.S. uncontrolled. And that just seems so divorced from the reality of the fact that uh, American passports are essentially worthless in a lot of countries. They won't get you in the door. Uh, it's hard to imagine people streaming into the U.S. right now, legally or illegally. I'm just wondering, because we, we focus so much on these surging numbers, particularly southern sections and uh, areas to the west in, in through uh, California, do these other states not look at an example like New York City, who were on it and uh, have some control over the virus? You know, it, it really is state by state here. Uh, and I can tell you that, you know, in, in Georgia, for example, the governor has actually now gone to court to block local mayors from implementing their own mask mandates. I mean, that tells you what the politics are like in those states. Again, only half the states have statewide mask mandates. Oklahoma, where the governor himself has tested positive for COVID-19, has refused to implement a statewide mask mandate. In, in some cases, it comes down to this idea of individual liberty and basically do what you want, look out for yourself. Uh, Other states, though, feel that they do need the government to step in and make decisions, and that's why you're seeing them uh, either slow to release their sort of stay-at-home orders and lockdowns or re-implementing things like restaurant closures. Hoping that some control happens pretty soon. Thanks for joining us, Jackson, and have a safe weekend. Thank you. You too. That's Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. 618 on your Friday morning, 18-year CFL veteran quarterback, three-time Grey Cup winner, twice, of course, with our Calgary Stampeders, and now part of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame's Class of 2020. Smiling Hank is joining us now. Hi, Henry Burris. How are you? Hey, Sue. How's it going? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Boy, yesterday must have been a, a busy day in the Burris household. Congratulations. Uh, the announcement, how, how, do you, how are you feeling today? I mean, we're still on cloud nine, honestly. And yes, from sun up to sundown, definitely, uh, you know, talking with family and friends and, and different media members across the country. And, and I mean, honestly, with how all this came together, I mean, this is something beyond anything you could ever dream about because, I mean, let's be real as an athlete. I mean, you dream about winning championships and, 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 and doing things like that, doing things in the community. And you can only hope that maybe with your legacy uh, of your journey, 
hopefully you've done enough to, to kind of garner the attention of those who place those votes and, and, you know, actually think that you're worthy enough to be placed in, in such a prestigious institution with so many great members uh, from over the years, people that I looked up to and, and to find out that I'm the 21st first ballot hall of famer since 1909. Mm. Wow. Just knowing that blew me away. Hank, uh, tell us how you found out you were going into the hall. I understand it was quite the interesting story. Well, I found out that I'm the, the lowest member on the totem pole in my family. I don't know how my kids <laughs> kept a secret for five months. And where I try to have a birthday party for my wife, Nicole, and the boys, they, they, they give it up. They give up the goods always. They, they cannot keep a secret, but uh, they held on to this ever since February uh, as there was something planned in March, but due to, due to the pandemic, you know, things were we had to improvise and come up with something new, or they did it at, at least. But uh, uh, this video was put together, and about just over two and a half weeks ago, my wife ushered me down to our basement with my eyes closed, said, open your eyes. Uh, the video of Damon Allen was playing, and it was something with Damon that my old university coach, Steve Goldman, used to coach in the CFL. And Damon and Matt Dunnigan were two guys that he put me in touch with. And as a rookie, when I came to Calgary back in 1997, the first guy that called me and gave me advice and wished me luck was Damon Allen. And now in this moment to see that I'm going into the Hall of Fame and the guy who, who welcomed me into the Hall of Fame is Damon Allen. And just knowing that our journeys were so similar and to be able to experience that moment with my wife, with my kids, uh, the three people who sacrificed so much for dad to play this backyard game called football. I mean, to be able to enjoy that moment with them was something I'll never forget. Well, I mean, you're so important to this city still, even though you don't live here anymore. You're still a, truly a Calgarian. Does it make a difference to you that you were chosen on the very first ballot? You know what? I, I mean, I, I was just honored to get in and, and to know that, that the things that I did impressed that much to, to be placed in as a first ballot. I mean, it even adds that much more, I guess, I guess I guess that cushion to it of saying thank you, and and you know we've 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 gotten to know so many great people around here, all, all from coast to coast. All we wanted to do was just add value and equity to the league and each and every market that we played in. But we also wanted to impact people away from the game, off the field, and and hopefully open up the eyes of those who thought they didn't have hope. Now understanding my story, hopefully it gave them hope. And and for me, just to get in was enough. But to know that I went in as a first ballot Hall of Famer, I mean, I lost for words to it, Andrew. I don't, think, I don't think I've ever been through this before. But, <laughs> I, you know, because it's one of those things where it's beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And knowing the history behind it, it's even blown my mind that much more. Hank, uh, looking at your stats, obviously your name uh, comes up where you start to digging into the Burris stats. I was, I'm still to this point shocked that it was an 18 year career for you uh, on the field there. Uh, how, how about you? Did it, did it seem to go by in five seconds? Cause I was shocked that it was 18 years. Oh, it definitely did. I mean, the good times when they get rolling, they, they, they just fly by too quickly in life. And sometimes you try to hold on to it and you try to do any and everything, get every video and try to relive it with friends and family and, and different fans and different people that you run across, you know, whenever we're taking our journeys throughout the city here in Ottawa or even back to Calgary. But life travels at light speed and you got to enjoy each and every moment. And that's why, you know, whenever I was out and about and people always talked about, I shook hands, took pictures and did those things. Well, I, I'm a fan of the fans as well. I'm a fan of the people, and I wanted to enjoy each and every minute I could possibly and, and go out there and give it as well as, you know, accept it as I did. But I wanted to give more than I than I took in, and that's why we had that never-say-die attitude to say thank you, to, to hug and kiss babies and to <laughs> help out different charities and do different things, and that allowed me to enjoy each and every minute of being a professional athlete and playing in the Canadian Football League.
Well, we're so grateful that many of those years were spent in Calgary. And I bet your body reminds you you spent 18 years in the CFL, doesn't it? <laughs> Once oh, in a yeah, while. De- <laughs> definitely, definitely. Coming <laughs> to Calgary as a rookie, I, I didn't know what the prairie wildfire was, but thanks to Canadians, I now know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Henry, and congratulations. Well-deserved. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you both so much for having me on, and I miss you guys there in Calgary. We miss you too. Come visit us soon. Definitely will. That's Henry Burris, Canadian Football Hall of Fame's Class of 2020 member.